0: Welcome back to the hot dish. I'm so excited about today's um, uh, program because we are bringing together the board of directors of one country absent Ashton who has to do the business of her district in the business of education in North Carolina so we're going to miss her, but we've got a great program because we have at the DNC someone who understands what it's like to run in a rural um, in a state where the rural vote matters, and someone who really gets our issues and has committed to bringing back this idea of um, of a 50 state Democratic Party. And so we are thrilled and we are ready to uh, assist him individually and really as one, one country in um, spreading the word about the policies of the Democratic Party that are great for rural America. And so I wanna first off welcome our guest, Jamie Harrison, but also um, welcome uh, J.D. Shulkin and Anthony Daniels and Joe Donnelly, my co-founder, to this conversation. And so it's not going to be dominated by me. I think we, what we want to do, I think, to start out with, Jamie, is just ask you why you think that rural vote is important and um, how committed are you to making sure that um, rural America once again gets the message and hopefully – uh, uh the the democratic message and hopefully um uh, will consider voting once again for democrat
1: well senator first of all thank you for uh having me on today and it's so good to reconnect with friends uh, on this uh on this podcast uh, uh you know i've worked in the past uh with with uh, anthony uh and uh i know uh Senator Donnelly from his time in, when he was in the house and JD and I met when we were both getting ready to to launch campaigns again. So it's so great to connect with everybody again. You know, when people ask me, Jamie, what kind of Democrat are you? Are you a blue dog? Are you a progressive? Are, are you conservative? Are you, uh, you know, this A, B, C and D. And I tell folks proudly that I'm a dirt road Democrat. I grew up on a dirt road. I know what it means to live in communities that have dirt roads, the, the joys, but also some of the difficulties that come along with it. And you know, I, part of my campaign for the United States Senate, uh, the heart of that campaign was focusing on how we could rebuild and revitalize rural communities across my home state of South Carolina, but also residually how we could do that for rural communities across this great nation of ours. And so I'm very much committed to uh, rural communities because I'm a product of, uh, of those communities. And I understand that there's some uh, unique challenges that, 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 that we all face in rural communities. And those are things that we as Democrats need to make sure that we're rolling up our sleeves to address. You know, I often tell a story, Senator, and if you, if you give me a second, I'll quickly tell it uh, to your listeners, Uh, that really sums up what we as Democrats and and as a party need to think about and focus on, particularly when we're thinking about rural communities. When I first became the chair of the South Carolina Democratic Party back in, I believe it was in 2013 or so, I was canvassing in one of our rural counties and I happened to drive, uh, see a a dirt road and there were some houses down that dirt road. And I said, well, you know what, I'll, I'll go down there, put out some signs and and talked to a few of the folks there. I pulled up into one yard a shotgun house. And, and I know Anthony knows what I'm talking about in the South. Um, and uh, I, I get out of the car, I knock on the door, and there's a elderly African-American man that comes to the door. And he looks at me and he says, who are you and what do you want? I said, sir, I'm Jamie Harrison. I'm the chair of the Democratic Party. And uh, I'm here because this is the most consequential election of our lifetime, and I need you to vote. He said to me, he said, son, stop right there. He said, you see that road you came up on? I said, yes, sir. He said, what kind of road is that? I looked back. I said, it's a dirt road. He said, son, that was a dirt road when Ronald Reagan was president. It was a dirt road when the Bushes were president. It was a dirt road under Bill Clinton and Barack Obama. Son, that's still a goddamn dirt road. So until either you Democrats or Republicans paved my road, I don't want to have to deal with any of you. And he shut his door and he went back in his house. Uh, you know, I was in my feelings a little bit. I was a little hurt, but I started thinking about what he really meant. For this man, for generations, he had heard from all types of Democrats and Republicans that they're going to invest in infrastructure. They're going to pave roads. They're going to do this and that. And nobody had ever paved his road. That road is symbolic of the broken promises that so many people in rural America uh, lived through year in and year out. And for Democrats to be different, We have to do more than just talking about paving the dirt roads. We actually have to pave the damn road. And that's what we will focus on at DNC, Uh, not actually paving roads, but making sure that people are out there doing the things that they make promises uh, to the folks in these great communities. And so I'm excited about what I believe the new uh, chapter that we're going to open as it relates to the relationship between the Democratic Party and rural America.
0: What a great story, Jamie. And you know, recently there has been a lot of discussion about what happened in the uh, Revitalization Act. I think definitely a critical step forward for fulfilling the kinds of promises that you're talking about. But I'm going to ask Anthony because I, one thing that we 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 try and get through to people in. Um, one country, is that rural America is not white America. There's a lot of folks in rural America. And, you know, the, the promises to African-American farmers have never been fulfilled. But yet now we have this great program um, that, that, you know, kind of, kind of we hear you, we know you. And Anthony has been doing so much outreach in his home state of Alabama. So maybe, Anthony, you can talk about kind of the outreach that you see and the needs that you see in Alabama because of that shared experience.
2: Well, thank you, Senator Heitkamp and, and Jamie. Welcome and congratulations again. Um, I know that you and I have talked in the past about uh, some of the problems uh, that has traditionally happened in the South where uh, nationally when the conversation uh, begins, uh, you know, the South is always left out. And uh, we've seen uh, as it relates to Georgia, uh, the need to engage communities of color uh, in Alabama uh, uh, specifically. We saw that there was about um, uh, 522,000 African Americans that did not vote in 2017. That's registered to vote, and so a lot of our efforts have been focusing uh, in various counties on rare and sporadic communities of color. Uh, What are the plans going into 2022? Uh, What are the plans, uh, you know, that the DNC has to engage or help engage uh, communities of color? Uh, those that are apathetic about voting and those that feel disengaged like the gentleman that you described?
1: That yeah. Paper. Well, part of Anthony, part of the challenge I, I believe that we have is, is the, you know, the question is, why are people disengaged? Why do they believe it's better to not do anything to, than to actually vote? And I think part of that is because the trust has been lost with many of those folks. And we got to work hard to rebuild that trust. And you can't rebuild the trust by just giving a bunch of uh, uh, empty promises and empty words. You actually have to go into those communities, be embedded and entrenched in those communities, and actually help people even while you're running as a candidate, even if you are not elected in office. You know, one of the things that I did when I was on my Senate campaign, and I did as chair of the state party, and I'm, I'm hoping to do as chair of the DNC, is to have some service related initiatives from the party and from our candidates. Because that's how you go into communities and actually uh, show your values instead of telling people what your values are. You know, we did back-to-school supplies drives um, for families who lost their jobs because of COVID. We did... uh, we worked at better women's shelters. We we worked for Habitat for Humanity. Uh, I made dinners at Ronald McDonald houses for many of the uh, families whose kids were, were at uh, children's hospitals. We tried to do things, in, particularly in our rural communities, um, to demonstrate to people who I was as a man and who I would be as a leader. And what we saw, despite the fact that we didn't Uh, We weren't victorious, but what we saw in the end was that I got a massive turnout in rural uh, South Carolina that no other Democrat had ever gotten. You know, before I ran, the most that any person, any Democrat had ever gotten in South Carolina was 850,000 votes, Uh, and that was Barack Obama in 2008. I got 1.1 million votes, almost tied with Donald Trump got in South Carolina in 2016. And that's a massive surge. And that's because people saw that I was committed, uh, not just through my words, but through my actions in terms of helping them get a better life. It's about making sure folks understand that we are committed to improving their lives, the lives of their families and, and the lives of the people who live in their communities. And so we will start to see more service initiatives through the DNC, but I also am going to encourage our candidates to do the very same thing and to make sure that they're talking about the things that people are, are, are struggling with and dealing with. Talk about the fact that you got, you know, toxic septic tanks and what your plan is in order to get that done. Uh, many times people don't feel as though they are being seen or heard or valued, and that's a big obstacle uh, that if we can overcome as Democrats, I think we'll see a lot of inroads, particularly in communities of color uh, and black communities, more specifically, uh, in, in many of these communities.
0: And, and Jamie, you know, the tragedy is that you do this and I know Jay did, J.D. did this, but yet one message from a national Democrat can basically throw us off track. And I think, you know, we, 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 we do all of these things as candidates who work in rural America. We deliver for rural America. But yet then when something like defund the police comes up, then we're struggling. And, and so JD followed that kind of um, structure that you just outlined, but yet two great candidates. You guys would be so great in the United States Congress, but yet you weren't able to overcome what I think is the Democratic label. Maybe, J.D., you can talk a little bit about kind of your struggle and the work that you did and why why it was uh, that um, sometimes you faced some headwinds that you shouldn't have had to face.
3: Yeah, well, uh, one of the things that we saw in, in 2018 and in 2020 is when you show up, you really start connecting with people. And that's the number one thing our campaign tried to do was was show up. We went to all 39 counties in the Iowa's fourth congressional district, both cycles, uh, holding over 100 town halls and just really tried to meet people where they're at. And so uh, I guess my question to, to Jamie, I would like to know, like, what, what advice do you have for people like me who ran in a district like this or who are thinking about running in a district that's uh, either rural or or just uh, traditionally red. And and what does that mean for somebody, even if they know it's an uphill battle?
1: Yeah. Well, J.D., one of the things that I want folks to understand, because, you know, the headwinds that you ran into are the same ones that I did as well. You know, even though I had family members in uh, in my family who were in the police and, you know, I come from a, a law enforcement family, Uh, And I didn't believe in defunding the police and those type of things. Uh, Those things still stuck. And I asked myself, well, why is that the case? And part of that is because of the Democratic brand. It's, you know, many times I think a lot of our folks get stuck on, well, what is the Democratic message? Well, before you get to message, it's about your brand. Uh, and, and the and brand is, in, in essence, it is the image. It's the emotion. It is the, the thing that pops into people's mind when they hear the word Democrat or Democratic Party. Right. And so in many parts of the country, that Democratic brand is tarnished. Some of it is just it is falling apart. And so we are going to commission a study at the DNC to start to examine our democratic brand across various constituency groups and to figure out whether or not there is some way that we can rebuild that brand. We can re- rebuild the image and the vision in the minds of people when they hear Democrats or hear somebody who's from the Democratic Party so that then if we can do that, we can make sure that the message that we promote on a national level. Is is in essence beneficial to rebuilding that brand in communities across the country. I think that's really, really important.
0: Well, this is a great segue, um, Jamie, into uh, Joe Donnelly because Joe Donnelly and I—if we—if we—if we told you that when we started out uh, running for re-election in '18, you know how you do those little word message boards, and and then they say what. What do you what's your negative impression? Give me one negative word. And for both Joe and I, though, that, you know, it was like, you know, maybe smaller words, the largest in the largest font was Democrat. And Joe, uh, you and I have talked a lot about that, about the Democratic brand and the challenges. Maybe you want to you want to kind of talk about your experience and what you think might help bring uh, Indiana back for some possibility of Democrats getting elected.
4: Well, sure, and Jamie, it is it is so great to talk to you. Um, I I have such a such a great respect for you. You've always been such a good friend and, and such a leader for our party. Um, but you know, a perfect example of this is that the day before the hearings began for Justice Kavanaugh, I was ten points ahead in the Senate race. The day after the hearings ended, I was seven points behind. And what happened is um, all of a sudden the race became Democrat versus Republican, as opposed to, well, there's our Senator Joe. He's hardworking and he cares about us. And so um, what we have to do is just change that perception where the perception used to be, and I'd, I'd love to get this part back. You know, uh, somebody came up to me and said, You know what kind of Democrat I am? I said, What kind? He said, I'm a factory worker Democrat that, you know, I want my job here, not in China. My cousin is a policeman and I respect him. And so I just want to be known as someone who works hard, loves his community, wants everybody to have an equal chance at the American dream. And they kind of feel we've gotten away from that.
1: Yeah. You know, and, and that's the thing that we really, really need to make sure that we we get back to the bread and butter issues that people really care about in their lives. And, you know, in the end of the day, folks are, are, are focused on can they put food on the table for their kids? Uh, you know, you know, if the car breaks down, then they, can they afford to get it fixed? Uh, can they take care of their senior parents or, you know, make sure that they have all the things that they need? And I believe that as Democrats, if we could focus more on those issues, uh, I think we could really win back the hearts and minds of a lot of folks. And so, um, I'm, uh, that's what I, I, I hope that we can, we can really focus on over the course of the next, uh, few months. Because I think this, this 2022 midterm election is crucial to where we go as a party for the long term. But we got to focus on those bread and butter issues that are important to people right now, particularly as they struggle through, through COVID. Stay away from all of these hot button, uh, some of these issues, but let folks know that we are, we are focused on them. Uh, we're focused on making sure that they have their voting rights. We're focused on making sure that they are, can keep their jobs, that they can provide for their families. That's what's really important right now.
4: Hey, Jamie, if I could mention one other subject to you, and and it is this. Um, I, I have no doubt that the Republicans will be using immigration as a front and center issue in the 2022 elections. And so- We have to make sure to get that right, because um, especially in rural parts of our country, but in, um, you know, in in states that are maybe not so coastal or maybe not so democratic, immigration is a subject that people want real answers on. And they want to know we have a strong border that can be protected, that we're fair, but we also actually have a border. And I think they're starting to become concerned that we've got some real problems there.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I always use uh, Senator. I always use my mom as uh, my measuring stick for when an issue is starting to resonate with uh, 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 with the grassroots folks and, and just working people. You know, my wa- mom works at Georgia State University. Yeah, she watches her bit of news and all, but when she will uh, just proactively bring up a topic for discussion. I know that this that means then that this discussion or this topic is, is really uh, <laughs> um, trickling down to 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 just working folks in, in this country. And this morning she brought up the issue and she loves Joe Biden. She brought up the issue and she said, well, we just she said, Jamie, you just need to make sure that y'all come up with some way to deal with this issue on the border. And so that means that it's something that is starting to, to, to get to folks. She's very appreciative of all the support in the ARP and, and what the American Rescue Plan has done. But her heart is also going out, seeing those kids at the border, but also concerned that, you know, all those folks just can't come, you know, can't come into the country when folks here are already struggling. And so we got to find that fine balance. Uh, we, we got to be the compassionate country that we are. What I do believe, though, is uh, this administration that has very ably uh, really gotten a handle uh, over COVID and, and the coronavirus, and we've seen that you know this week a hundred million uh, vaccines in arms. Uh, I believe that this administration will also be able to really get their arms around the situation that we have on our border, and we we have to have them uh, do so. Uh, and uh, there's some good minds there at the White House. And I know that this is on the top of their agenda.
4: Yeah, I think I think President Biden is extraordinary. Um, he's a great leader, and I'm glad that you have the chance to you know to talk to him about these kind of things because because President Biden is you know he, he's one of us. He's 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 Joe from Wilmington. Um, you're Jamie from South Carolina, and and when we strike people and they understand that. You know, why Joe, why President Biden won is because he's, he's Joe from Wilmington and he's one of us. And and so the more we can um, pursue these policies in that way, the better off I think we can be.
0: I, I, I want to mention something, you know, and, and Joe is so right to talk about how critical it is to understand the damage that not um, confronting this could do to your down ballot candidates. I would tell you that sanctuary cities and immigration and the caravan has been what they what they pull out every year to scare people into vote. So they're pretty good at playing offense. An opportunity that I don't think's been uh, I wouldn't say exploited, but but basically utilized. That is so apparent to me that even in rural America, you could make the argument. So let's let's just do a comparison. You know, when they voted for that tax bill, they voted $2 million in tax breaks for owners of racehorses, but they aren't going to give 1400 for stimulus checks for working families. When they voted for the tax bill, they gave $135 billion in tax relief for 43,000 millionaires but they aren't willing to vote for public schools. They aren't willing to vote for a tax credit. This is all stuff that, and we just kind of think, oh, everybody's going to see the Democrats champion this. We need an aggressive plan. And it can't just be about what we did do for people. It's got to be about the choices that they made when they said no. And and so I really hope that um, we're going to see, I mean, I know that the president is out there doing these rallies and doing these discussions to, you know, kind of a, 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 what I would call a little victory lap on stimulus, but we need the political arm of the Democratic Party to really remind people that Ron Johnson is, is somebody who really doesn't care about working people, even though he says he's a working class guy. And for, for, for Cruz to go to Florida and say, now we're the party of working people, prove it. When have you ever stood up for working people, Ted Cruz? So what are we going to do to get a little more aggressive there, Jamie?
1: Well, Senator, we're already doing it. Uh, if you haven't seen, we got billboards in every state in this country uh, where Republicans in the Senate voted no against this bill. As we've been telling folks, help is here. And, and the asterisk is not one Republican voted to do uh, to, to help Americans in their greatest time of need. And we're constantly reminding folks, we've got uh, uh, social media kits that are going out to uh, leaders in state legislatures across this country so that they can begin to promote the fact that when their cities and their towns are receiving uh, recovery uh, rescue plan funds, when their schools are reopening, when uh, more vaccines are getting into rural communities, All of that happened because of Democratic action uh, started from Joe Biden to congressional Democrats in the House and the Senate. And not one Republican, not one in the House, not one in the Senate actually voted uh, in order to help. Now, what you have is. Some of the Republicans are now trying to take credit for some of the, the benefits that are going to small businesses. They're trying to take credit uh, for these schools opening back up. They're trying to take credit for uh, the $1,400 going to per person or the increase in the child tax credit. But we are not going to allow them. So, this is, people may say, Jamie, you sound like a broken record. But from this point forward to November of next year, everybody will know that it was Democrats in their greatest time of need that actually helped them. And it was Republicans who stood in the way uh, and didn't lift a finger to do so. Uh, and we got to paint that contrast. We got to be aggressive. We got to uh, let folks know know the difference between these parties. Republicans passed tax cuts for the top 5%, whereas the bulk of the money in this American Rescue Plan went to people under uh, $75,000 a year. And that's the big difference between our party and their party. They are for the rich and the special interests, and we're for working people.
0: I'm just going to say I'm so proud that the package that we put together really does address childhood poverty. It really does address those working class folks who are going to stimulate the economy, not put the money in their pocket and say, hey, look at us. We even grew our wealth even more. I mean, I just think that there is such an opportunity here to draw the contrast. But the one thing that I would say, Jamie, is I understand that you need to make investments In places where you're going to have competitive races, whether that's Iowa, whether that is, you know, taking a look at Wisconsin, you know, but, you know, North Dakota could use some of those ads too, some of those billboards, some of those, some of that money, because if we're ever going to elect Democrats again in North Dakota, we need to make sure that people understand that there's a choice. There's a choice between a Democrat and a Republican. And oh, by the way, the Democrat is standing up for working people that the pension bill is such a great example. The pension piece of this, which Lewis, that Joe and I fought so hard for when we were there. I mean, these 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 are amazing stories. And for anyone, any Republican to take credit for um, helping these pensioners, it's it's just outrageous. I don't know. I want to want to just ask Anthony or JD or Joe if you guys have any any other kind of final points or final questions for for Jamie.
2: Well, I just want to say as as a fellow Southerner Southerner uh Jamie, I just want to make certain that um as you're talking to the D trip and others that they understand that the lines are drawn in the state legislature. And so unless Uh, As we move forward, there should be some consideration of working closely with state legislatures and breaking supermajorities, so that we're able to maintain maintain at the very least the current maps that we have that guide us in the majority in Congress, because they can very well undo this just through using the state legislature and not running, you know, not through at the federal level. So I just want us to kind of think think through that as we strategically plan long term.
1: Well, Anthony, one of the things I would suggest, if you have not reached out to uh, Eric Holder, Attorney General Holder and the uh, NDRC, um, uh, they are working and they want to work with every state uh, to make sure that they have the resources to help with the drawing of districts and all those things. And so I'm happy to connect you uh, if if you all have not had that connection yet with, with their organization. I just met with them for over an hour, talking about ways and making sure that we can reach every every uh, state in the union to, to, to make sure that they have resources to push back against some of this uh, ultra-partisan uh, uh, gerrymandering.
4: Jamie, this is Joe Donnelly again. I would just like to make a suggestion that for um, one of the great accomplishments of the American Rescue Plan was um, Saving those pension plans and and uh, making it so that so many people who didn't know if they were ever going to get um, pension funds, you you know, a a check in their pocket so they could live out their years um, with dignity that they can. That as a party, because we did this, we we got this across the finish line. We need to coordinate with those those unions and those workers and make sure that they all know how this happened. That that. You know, we were there when the rubber met the road, and we ought to have celebration parties in every one of those union halls around the entire country to do that, because we've lost a lot of rank and file union members, and this is a great way to start to get them back.
1: Well, Senator, you'd be happy to know I just had a a a big call with our union leaders uh, at the end of last week uh, to coordinate our efforts in terms of promoting this bill. I and I literally just got off the phone with Mary Kay Henry. Uh, at SEIU, uh, and they're doing a fabulous job of promoting this to all of their members uh, to to let them know that help is here, and it was Democrats who actually made it happen.
3: That's that's great news. This is JD, and I just have one last thing, and it's more of a comment than anything, but in 2020, you, both you and I saw that uh, in the age of social media, every race gets nationalized. And I think that's why it's so imperative that the, of the role of the DNC and seeing how we can uh, improve and making sure that the infrastructure is in place because campaigns kind of come and go. And so I'm really excited uh, with uh, uh, what I'm hearing and, and uh, excited to see where you guys invest your time and resources.
1: Yeah, uh, JD, it's it's really really important. And one of the things is that, that I always tell cannons. Yeah, make sure you're focused on the issues that are important to the people back home. Because nationally at the DNC, I, I don't know what's more important to folks in Iowa or, or what's going on in Alabama or, or what's going on uh, you know, in North Dakota or Indiana. But, but candidates on the ground in those communities know that. What our job is, is to make sure that we help the state parties have the resources uh, to allow you all to compete. And that's the really important part. And that's why for me, the fifty seven states and territory strategy is at the core of what the DNC will do uh in, in this election cycle.
0: You know, I and and I don't I mean, I feel like I'm kind of the naysayer here Jamie, but you know, so often these great things like ARP, this 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 incredible piece of legislation that I think really focuses investment where it needs to be focused. We can go out and sell that. We can go out and sell our vision for America, which is inclusive and which is dynamic, and 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 we can do all that. And then one thing will happen from a Democrat someplace in the country that will radicalize the entire race. And so you know when there isn't an institutional democratic response saying that's that's what that person believes that is not necessarily the the uh, an inclusive policy of the democratic party whether it is eliminating ice or whether it's defunding the police and and you know i i recognize that this is a challenge sometimes to navigate that space between um, progressives and then be, maybe people like us who run in areas where um, you know, where it's very very difficult to sell some of these some of these policies, I would ask that you be very mindful about the challenges and and I think you've experienced it. So it's 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 a short trip for you. The experiences that you get when you have a Kavanaugh hearing and people you know kind of kind of think that they see something in the Democratic Party that they don't like, or you have a an end of the year, the caravans are coming and we don't have a plan kind of experience. And so it's really critical that that you have ongoing dialogue about what's happening and then a Democratic response to those challenges. If we're going to ever win again in places like Iowa and North Dakota and Indiana, and if Anthony can do what we hope Anthony can do um, in Ala- in Alabama that no one thinks he can do, so I, I just want to kind of lay that out there because I think it's it's one of the struggles we have at One Country. How do you balance that and maintain the inclusivity of the Democratic Party, but also recognize that some of these policies are just not um, conducive to getting rural people to vote?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, it, it, that's part of the challenge of, of a diverse party. And, you know, I talk about it all the time. One of my jobs... Uh, early on in politics was, uh, you know, I was a floor director in the WHIP's office. And uh, that meant I had to get 218 votes every single time on the Florida House for a very diverse caucus where you had, you know, 40 some odd blue dogs, uh, 90 some odd progressives, 40 some odd CVC members, 20 plus uh, CHC members. But we got all have to come together in order to pass legislation in order to improve the lives of the people in our community. And I think the caucus, and I've addressed both the House, I've addressed the House caucus haven't, the Senate caucus yet, but what I've told them is fight like hell inside the caucus rooms, but when you get out in front of the cameras, be unified in purpose and mission uh, and, and focus. And, and that's what we need. Uh, and, you know, we will do all that we can from the DNC's perspective to support our candidates and support them as they lay out their visions for, for their communities. Um, and, uh, you know, and I think if we can all work in in, on one accord, I I think there's a lot of progress that can be made.
0: Well, I, I, this is music to our ears and I want to, I want to tell you how excited I am that, and all of us are that you're over at the DNC and, you know, just so uh, our listeners understand one of the first calls that you made was to all of us to say, I, I see what you're trying to do. And, and I recognize the challenges that you have, and we want to make it possible for um, Democrats to run in Idaho and in North Dakota and Indiana and be successful. And so we couldn't be more thrilled. And, you know, on behalf of one country, and I think the entire board here want to make sure that, you know, that, you know, we're not always going to be, uh, you know, um, uh, agree with everything that comes out of the National Democratic Party because it may not fit for rural America. But when we focus on what unites us, we can do great things for this country, and we we can do them only if we focus on bringing more Democrats in state like states like ours um, back to the fold, get more Democratic votes. And so, um, if we're going to have a national party, let's have a national party, right?
1: That's exactly right. I love it and, and looking forward to working with all of you.
0: Well, thanks so much Jamie. You're you're just you're you're uh, we're so grateful for the time that you took and I want to thank Anthony for everything that he's doing. JD's got some great projects coming. Joe Donnelly is still in the fight. We're not going to give up because we believe that in our states uh uh you know, the democratic policies will move our citizens forward and we're going to continue to fight to um, provide that kind of leadership, but we need some help. <laughs> we can't do it alone.